0: Good afternoon, this is the Executive Girlfriends Group, and it is Friday, September 24th, and it is my pleasure to introduce our guest today, Carol Ward, and Carol is the author of a book called Worried Sick, and uh, it was so interesting because I don't think of myself as a worrier, But as I started reading through the different symptoms that worry can have in your life, I thought, you know what, maybe I'd better revisit this. So, Carol, I'm sure I'm not the first person who's told you that. So why don't you give us your background and then just uh, dive right into telling us a little bit about what brought you to the point of writing this
1: book. Certainly. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Carol Ward, and I'm a licensed psychotherapist and presentation coach and author of Worried Sick, and another book called Find Your Inner Voice Using Instinct and Intuition Through the Body-Mind Connection. And for me, the core of my work is really the importance of the body-mind connection, whether it's in the area of wellness, psychology, or business. I have felt in my own life and in my own experience as a therapist and speaker that when people are lined up between their heart and their head and their mind and their bodies, then the decisions that they can make going forward in any area of their life run much more smoothly. Those decisions can come from a place of empowerment because there's not a conflict between what an intuitive part of you is saying versus what your head might be saying. So my goal and my passion and my work is to help people get back in alignment and get those two areas connected so any decision personally or professionally can be made with clarity. The reason this book came about, you know, the title is Worried Sick and it has such a, a heavy sound to it, but it came out of two areas in my life, my personal life and my professional life. Personally, I'm married to my husband, Michael, and we have a dog named Jordy. We live in New York City. And for the past, I'd say, five years, I've been one of the primary caretakers of my mother, who about four years ago got an Alzheimer's diagnosis. And when I heard that diagnosis, my younger brother and I share the caretaking of her, it really threw me. And I found myself in an acute state of worry for long periods of time. And that really challenged me as a woman and as a therapist. Because at the same time, in my practice, people were starting to talk more and more about how worried they were. And I feel that the economy really brought to the surface that worry, and it also brought to the surface maybe some hidden worries that had been lying dormant for people for a while. It seems the economic worry tipped people into an acute state of worry, and all of a sudden, besides money, there were worries about relationship and health. It just almost collectively, people in my practice started to talk about worry much, much more, and specifically using those words, I'm worried and I'm stressed. So I had these two areas in my life that were happening at the same time, and I realized that it was important for me to try to stay as balanced as possible personally as I took care of my mother and to offer support and guidance to my patients so that they could also stay in balance. And I just found that it was important to start getting my thoughts down on paper And to start writing about this topic, probably for my own health, my own mental health, but certainly to give my patients and beyond a lot of information about how they could combat and reduce the worry in their lives. So, Carol, can you share with
0: us um, uh, one of the things that the... uh, the Amazon description of your book lists is that the book includes a number of uh the latest proven techniques for actually staying unworried and and uh to to actually find that way to center. And, you know, I mean I think clearly some of us need to get unworried before we can stay unworried. So uh why don't you walk us through a little bit of that.
1: I- happy to do so and I also just want to say happy to hello to Catherine and Kathy who I've known and actually who gave a nice blurb for my book and are in New York City and um, they've been a great support to me but I'm still worried (laughs) you're still worried this is I want to back up for a moment to say that the purpose of my book is not to make worry the enemy because I view worry As the body's natural signal to let us know that something is out of balance it's it's the body's natural response we are going to worry throughout our lives it's just who we are and it's a mechanism that occurs so the book is really not about how to sort of push worry aside it's really about how to not let it dominate our lives Because worry is the great teacher. You know, sometimes we might have to get a a business project done and we find ourselves worrying about something. Well, we want to pay attention to that worry. We want to understand and go, hmm, why am I worried? Is everything in the contract that I'm about to hand someone, is everything there? Or is there some detail I might be missing? Is there some project I'm not paying attention to? Is there something on my to-do list that I'm worried about? And if I simply got it done... I would feel much better. So worry is the great teacher, and we want to make friends with it and use it as an ally in our lives. But a lot of the – techni- yes, go ahead.
0: You know, I, th- I think that that is, is such a valuable perspective because I, you know, I have told people that same thing, uh, for instance, about pain, uh, pain in your body is is there to to raise the flag that you need to stop and pay attention. And uh, fairly recently, one of my uh, best friends uh, here in Tampa was having some pain in her abdomen, and and it turns out she had a diagnosis of stage stage four ovarian cancer, and they never actually detect that cancer because it doesn't usually have pain associated with it. So, you know, had she not had that pain, she wouldn't have known. So, you know, and I think that your business examples are actually a, a really good place to start. I mean, in this particular group, we talk about both business issues and Personal issues, so it, it helps to kind of get your head around the business side of things. And I think your example of a contract, and if you're slightly uneasy or if you're worried about something, you know, chances are you have forgotten something, and you know, you need to wait until you get to that place of, of being able to feel peaceful uh, about what you have done. And you know, I guess centered uh, is another dimension of that that level of peace.
1: That's right, and and to differentiate between the two types of worry, and then I'll talk about the techniques that are out there, the two types of worry being chronic worry and the other one being circumstantial or situational worry. And they're important to distinguish because chronic worry is the type of worry that is debilitating. It's the type of worry that from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed, you are looking at your life and everything in it as a worst-case scenario. It's an automatic way of thinking. It's a type of thinking that isn't easily shifted by logic. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes when we're worried about something, we can have a good friend or a business colleague go, wait a minute, wait a minute, let, let's get this into perspective. And they present you with logic and they present you with a different scenario and you're able to shift and your worry eases. Chronic worry, which usually comes out of a state of early trauma or a state of a learned behavior, is not shifted so easily. No matter what the facts are, no matter how rosy the picture looks, no matter how many successes you have, chronic worriers tend to dismiss them and not believe that their success or their accomplishment matters. They're always looking for that other shoe to drop. So that kind of worry has to be addressed in a different way than situational or circumstantial worry, and I'm going to talk about that. Right, and
0: so let let me just jump in for a second. So um, one one of the other points that you make in your book, and and this occurred to me as you were just describing the, the kind of worry that comes from being around people uh, that things are just difficult. And so one, one of the parts of your book talks about how to ident- identify and avoid toxic people yeah. and, and uh, you know, understanding th- that information that comes from those kinds of people quite often is designed to encourage anxiety. That's part of their tactics. Yeah,
1: and it radiates off of them and, and the interesting thing, Chicky, is they can't they can't perceive it. It's very much an embodied view of the world. It's it's startling and, and Catherine has probably experienced this too as a therapist, is that when you're working with someone who really has a chronic belief, a chronic core belief about themselves and the world, it's very hard for them to shift, they don't realize that their anxiety or pessimism is driving you crazy. It's not necessarily your responsibility to get them to see a different way. It's usually something that they can't help. So to set a strong boundary with a person like that, if you have to do business with them, but if you don't, it's good to have a very wide berth and start to look at the people in your lives who radiate that kind of energy to understand that it's usually very automatic to them, but that you don't have to manage it, fix it, or help them see the light. Well, you know,
0: it's it's interesting that you you talk about that because, um, you know, one of the other things that you talk about in the book are those mantras and thought blockers that you need to use to prevent negativity from taking over. And if you can't remove those from your life and if it's not your responsibility to fix them, help us understand some of the things that you can do uh, to prevent that negativity from really infiltrating and, and being insidious uh, you know, in your thinking and your behavior.
1: Well, one is if you have to interact with people on a business level who are negative, I'm a big fan of those meetings should be brief, those meetings should be time specific. And you have to also identify what the strengths of that person are, just like you would do as a a strong businesswoman anyway going into a situation. But especially with a negative or pessimistic person, you need to understand why am I here and what do I need out of this situation. You probably will be the driving force in that interaction because you don't want to let the situation get out of hand if you have to spend time with them. You need to go in, get the information that you need, have the interaction that you have to, and then get out. When I say get out, leave, physically leave, because the energy becomes very, very overwhelming. Or you can, if you're interacting with them, say things like, you know, we've been really complaining or we've been kind of on this vein of complaining about how bad things are and how bad the economy is and how our businesses aren't doing well. I'd like to shift our perspective and start focusing on, the things that we can do to improve, and literally take the lead on that. It's hard at times to get people to go along with that who are pessimistic, and again, that's why the time spent should be very, very short. I understand that people are in work environments, and you have to balance between you know, who you hang out with for business reasons and who you have to hang out with for political reasons, but you need to not just let your time fritter away with toxic relationships strong boundaries, and really checking in with yourself every time you have to have an interaction with someone who you perceive to be negative or toxic, but you have to do business with them to just get very clear on what that person's strengths are and what you actually need from them, and go after that and then get out.
0: Yeah, sorry, it took me just a second to get you Okay. Um, One of the things, uh, again, that hit me when I was reading uh, about your book and uh, extending the invitation to have you come and and talk to us was you had a a list of kind of physical manifestations of worry and and those things where we can tell that we have, um, you know, something that is is, uh, causing some unrest. And and, uh, I'll I'll just give a personal example. A couple of weeks ago, we were going through a lot of very, very stressful things, and I... I thought I was handling them well. I didn't really feel like I was worrying about it. But uh, I started to have a a very strong and and persistent um, backache. And, uh, you know, later realized that there was a kind of a confluence of events going on that, you know, it wouldn't be surprising (laughs) for there to be something like that, uh, you know, where the muscles just actually tensed up and and I couldn't uh, relax them. And then because I was tense to begin with, then I actually set myself up uh, when I was traveling the following week to actually really jar my uh, my back. And, and now, you know, I've had a couple of weeks of dealing with that. So um, I, I want to go into talking about those exercises and things that you can actually do to relax your tense muscles and unwind the mind. But first... Why don't you just talk about some of those physical manifestations? Because as I said, I didn't think I was a warrior until I started reading your list and I thought, oh my, <laughs> I maybe I am. <laughs>
1: well, I, wrote, I have it in three areas. I have that worry shows up in the physical, psychological, and behavioral realms of our lives. So on the physical realm, you might be experiencing things like gastrointestinal distress, headaches, you could have skin problems. You could have shortness of breath. You might be grinding your teeth at night or biting your nails, or you could have jaw tension or loss of your appetite, or you could be eating more, or you could feel almost as if you at times were having a minor panic attack, the, the increased heart rate or physical or muscular tension. If none of these symptoms are based in any kind of medical route, then they usually are caused by stress and worry. And I spoke to a, a, a doctor who I mentioned in my book, Kelly Brogan, and she's a psychiatrist and she, had, she and I had a discussion and she said, it's amazing that when people who are in her practice, who she's treating for very specific, severe psychological problems, that the physical signs of their distress will flare up even more when they are stressed and worried. And again, it could be a skin rash or they could start to develop neck aches and and headaches. So a great thing to do, let's say, in the physical realm, and it's good to to do this in each realm, but you want to first say, when did this start happening? Pinpointing the time frame. Gee, let me think about it. My backache started last Wednesday. What was going on? What was I dealing with? Who was I dealing with? What, when does this happen to me? When does it happen to me in the past? Am I worried about something? Literally, to ask yourself, am I worried about a project or a situation or a person? And then what is, what is that situation or person making me feel? And then to ask yourself, what can I do? and then we'll talk about more about that later, what are some of the things that I can do. But pinpointing the time frame, because we can get very overwhelmed and say, I don't know, I'm just feeling bad, and my stomach hurts, my head hurts. But if we can start to track it back, that in itself, when I work with people, starts to calm them down. It's like, oh, that's what it's attached to. Okay, it's when I you know, got that check from somebody who, you know, it bounced, or when that person disappointed me and didn't follow through on that business tra- transaction, okay, that's when I start worrying, and that's when I start to f- worry about my business. So start to get it very, very specific. The other area is the psychological, and this has to do with mood. Just start tracking when your mood changes. You might start f- be feeling more irritable, more nervous, You could be feeling tearful or clingy or vulnerable. And sometimes the more severe symptoms of that are feeling anxiety or depression or panic or anger. These are the psychological effects of excessive worry. And, again, doing the tracking back of, you know, when did this start? Um, Right. You know, are there any other symptoms with it? How long have they been going on? Um, What's different in my life now? Has anything changed positively or negatively? Yeah, you know,
0: it's interesting, Carol, because I was talking to a colleague today at a meeting, and he has a teenage daughter who's uh, just, I think, about a year older than my daughter, and he was explaining, um, you know, that she was, uh, he didn't know whether this was just going through puberty or, you know, becoming a teenager, but, uh, you know, she's just been really having a lot of uh, just wild, wild mood swings. And uh, this morning when I talked to him, he said, you know what, I was thinking about it after I was talking to you, and I realized that, you know, she is happy-go-lucky all day, and then about an hour before bedtime, she starts getting uh, anxious, and she
1: mm-hmm. starts
0: actually uh, getting a little bit depressed. And, and I was prompted to ask him whether he and, he and or his wife, when she was little, would lay down with her. And, uh, you know, help her get to sleep. And, you know, I, of course, know that from firsthand experience. I did that with my daughter. And to this day, at age 12, almost 13, she doesn't know how to, uh, to go to sleep. By herself, And if she wakes up in the middle of the night, she has a hard time putting herself back to sleep. So consequently, she sleeps with the lights on and music blaring. And it turns out his daughter is going through some of those same things. So, you know, I, again, I really appreciate the, the practical nature of your observations. That it can sometimes be triggered by an event, and, and so now he's going to go home and talk to his wife, and and then also they're they're going to be talking to a therapist, I believe, on Tuesday, and it, it gives them you know some fuel to be able to go back to that. And I, I know all of us know someone who's a chronic complainer, and you know I think it can also help uh, you know rather than just nodding your head your head and saying oh yes you know to, to actually be able to prompt them through some of these. Uh, things to unwind the mind. So can you help us with uh, with some specific things that we can do to relax uh, our tense muscles and to unwind our mind when we do find that we are uh, in knots over something?
1: Yes. There, there are two favorite exercises, and these, these you can do, you know, sitting at your desk. These are simple ones. One is a breathing exercise, and there are lots of breathing exercises out there, but this is the one where... You simply sit with your eyes closed and your hands on your lap, your feet can be on the floor and you breathe in through the nose on the count of four and then you hold your breath for four beats and then you exhale through the mouth for four beats. And then you allow yourself to just take an easy breath back in through the nose. And what that does, again, you can breathe in through the nose for four. And then just if people in the line want to try it, just breathing in through for four beats. Hold your breath for four beats. Exhale again for four beats. And then easy breathe in, exhale, and then start the cycle again. And what it does is it connects you back to your breath and allows your breath to fill up your lungs and gives you that moment of pause. You can do it for four beats, you could do it for five beats, you could do it for three beats. You get to play with that, the breathing in and out. If you are feeling, you know, stressed or tense, catching your breath literally is the most basic and first foundational exercise to help you start getting your mind clear again. And then the other one, I I like this one as well, especially if you're having a stress headache or you're too, what I call, up in your head, and this is an exercise called heat the hands and it's actually been known to help with migraine headaches to help ease the symptoms and most acupuncturists and you know uh, holistic healers will say what happens is literally too much energy gets caught up in the head and what you want to do is bring the energy down to the rest of your body so the heat the hands exercise is to imagine that your hands literally are enclosed in gloves or mitts, and you imagine that your hands are heating up. And if you have trouble with visualization, I tell people to, if they're sitting at their desk, to just take two objects from their desk or a pair of socks balled up in each hand, and you feel the weight of those in your hands, and you imagine just in your mind's eye your hands heating up or those two objects heating up. And let the energy, do this for about five minutes, let the energy move from your head. And here's a little bonus one that's not in my book, but again, it's from an acupuncturist, is that actually if you're feeling headachy from a stress headache and worried, you can stick your feet in the bathtub with warm water. And the heat from the water on your feet, again, draws the energy down from your head into the rest of your body. And I've tried it a few times, and it's one of those kind of magic-y things that you're like, oh, my gosh, this really works. And it's a quick fix for when you're feeling stressed.
0: Well, that is really great, and uh, again, I think I'm going to have my daughter listen to this because, uh, you know, I've had to take uh, aspirin to school and record it with the nurse because she uh, gets headaches during class, and I'm quite certain it's because she's worried about something, and... And uh, not sure she can do the, uh, the bathtub in the hot water at school, but we'll right. work on one of those. So
1: just, just even if she held, held something in her hands and then imagined right. just putting her focus on that or at lunchtime or at a break just allowed herself to even squeeze her hands open and close, you know, a little fist in the nose, right. little fist, to get that energy flowing back down. Exactly.
0: So speaking of, of lunch, uh, let's talk about the serotonin-boosting foods. Uh, that can also help out, in those foods that are uh, stress-inducing that you should perhaps uh, resist and stay away from.
1: Certainly. I'm going to kind of swing around as I talk about that back to the other type of worry, which is circumstantial and situational worry. Those are the events that we experience as businesswomen that happen to us every single day. This is different from chronic worry. But this is what also causes us to reach for perhaps the foods that are not so great for us. These are like when clients pay us late or we arrive to do our presentation and the PowerPoint has gone down or our flight is late or, you know, a, a, a client, you know, decides not to go ahead with a project. These are situational, circumstantial worries that we will experience throughout our careers. Again, different from chronic worry and it's the type of worry that a good friend or a colleague can help shift your perspective by saying, you know what, you've survived in this business for so many years, you're going to continue to survive, and you believe them. Situational worry can be shifted where chronic worry tends to need a disruption, tends to need to really, if you're, if you're a chronic worrier, the best thing for you, if you know that about yourself, is you need to literally move your body from one room to another or move your mind by listening to music, by playing a game on the computer. You have to disrupt that chronic worry loop and shift your mind, almost fake your mind into another state because that's what will really help. But when we are situationally worried, we tend to grab foods that are not so great for us because we're just trying to keep going. And that's when we turn to caffeine and sugar, the great seducers of that promise energy and do provide it, but then drop us down. And if you find yourself, again, one of the signs of, besides the physical and psychological aspects of worry, if you find yourself exhibiting some of the behavioral changes, drinking too much coffee, eating too much sugar, wanting to drink too much alcohol to help you unwind, this means that you're trying to the best of your ability to combat your worry with foods and drinks that actually are going to make it worse. The impulse is correct. You want to do something to feel better. The choices usually are quick fixes and they don't last long. So when I spoke to my colleagues who were nutritionists, they really spoke about eating foods that helped with the serotonin levels. And those foods are the foods that keep your, that cause a slow rise um, in your blood sugar. That they help you maintain your energy, and these are foods such as, you know, lean proteins, these turkey, chicken, fish, you know, fresh fruits, nuts. If you're a vegetarian, you want to make sure that you're getting enough of your soy or your seitan, getting enough of enough of the protein foods, kelp-rich foods that help keep your blood sugar level. You also want to eat whole grain carbohydrates, and that's the whole wheat pasta, the brown rice, the fresh starchy vegetables, the sweet potatoes, um, the turnips, uh, and more so than, let's say, uh, a white potato. These are the, the foods that are filled with beta carotene, and again, they're easily, you can make them easily, they're slow to digest, and they don't cause a spike in the blood sugar Oats, millet, millet, barley, all the legumes. So the main thing you want to ask yourself when you're choosing foods, when you need that fix, when you're feeling that crash in energy, is to say, so what's what's the payoff? Am I going to be able to have a quick boost for a short period of time? And believe me, I know this living in New York. I, I love coffee and I drink it. But sometimes it pushes me into a state of mind that then affects how I do business. And that's the thing you want to ask yourself as a businesswoman when you think about shifting your choices with food. These aren't separate from you and your business. This is all going to feed into you becoming a powerful and successful businesswoman if you fuel your body the way you are fueling your business. Really, really important concept to get. It all goes together. It's all holistic. So if I'm not resting enough and I'm overtired, I tend to make mistakes in judgment and in details in my business. I need to sometimes actually go against my own habit of wanting to drive myself more and more and more and force myself to take a break and really have to force myself. But I have found that the payoff to doing that is is really well worth it.
0: Well, Carol, this has been uh, just so practical, and uh, I know for me, uh, particularly at the end of a long week of traveling, uh, it has given me some things uh, that I know will help me sleep better tonight. Um, I do want to give just a little bit of time for uh, if anyone has questions. So who would like to be first?
1: Don't be shy. I also, if I can, I want to, people are formulating a question, I also want to give another little quick thing if you find your 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 mind a little bit overwhelmed with, if you have okay. to make a decision. And that's just to simply, if you're like, I, I need to make a decision, but I can't seem to get it together, and I'm not, I have too much excess energy, and sitting and breathing isn't going to do it for me. A great thing to do is to sit with your eyes closed or open, your choice, with your hands face down on either knee, and then simply for about a minute alternate tapping your knees. So you're just going to be, it's going to be like the right knee, left knee, right knee, left knee, and just allow you to place your attention on that tapping back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And what that does, again, is it pulls your focus from the looping, what should I do, what do I need to do, Uh, kind of mind chatter and allows a disruption. So if you find yourself with a bit too much energy and you can't get out and move, which I'm a big fan of, but you're stuck in the office and slowing down your breath just feels like it's not going to work, sit with your eyes closed or open, hands on your knees, and alternate them back and forth, tapping for about a minute.
0: Well, that is just great. So if we don't have any questions, I will go ahead I have a question. And... Oh, okay. I have a question. <laughs> Hi, this is Catherine. Hi, Carol. Hi. Um, i actually very curious. I mean, for me, it uh, really relates to what you're talking about with people who are chronically anxious, and it seems to me that right now we are in an environment that is chronically anxious. And uh, so what I'm curious about is whether you have any tips if someone is in a worried state regarding intake of media, TV, radio, news, print, or even online news, do you have a you know a way for someone to figure out if they should be watching, reading, hearing more or less, or titrating it in some way, or limiting it to certain hours? Just I wondered if you had any feedback about that.
1: Great question, Catherine, and I'm sure you've run across this. I'm a big fan of taking a break from breaking news. I do not think the first thing when you open your eyes that you should be looking or visually taking in breaking news and a lot of negative um, information. And this is not about being in reality. I understand about being in reality. But this is about having a transition time between how you wake up and how you get your mind set for how your day is going to go. And if you turn on your television, and all you see that scroll at the bottom, and there's breaking news, and you're looking at the economic forecast, you are bound to then face your day with that kind of attitude. So I feel like you need to wake up, get yourself in some manner, whether it's walking, sitting down for five minutes with your tea, your coffee, interacting with whoever is in your life before you turn on that visual stimulus so that you're in charge of how your day is going to go, not the outside. I have to tell you, I know many people right now who are taking leaps of faith, changing their business, and going forth to take new strides and take on new challenges despite what is being said out in the world. And it's because they are limiting what they take in from the outside, and they are surrounding themselves with people who get that and who support that kind of positive outlook. And, again, it's not about being unrealistic and pie-eyed, but it's really saying, I can do this because I know who I am and I'm going to be clear about my goal and not let any other source tell me how I can succeed in life and if it's possible. Thanks, Carol. welcome. Okay, well
0: Carol, thank you so much for joining us today. And, welcome,
1: uh, my pleasure.
0: I uh, welcome you to stay on the call if you would like, uh, but if you need to go, we understand that as well. We're going to have a little bit of an abbreviated call today just because I'm at the airport and have to get down to my gate. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn off the recording because what's said on the egg call stays on the egg call.